We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in episode 83 of the BuzzBeat podcast. We're a new member of the Blue Wire podcast network. Really excited to be doing that. Don't forget our home is queencityhoops.com, um, so, so make sure you're checking them out too. We've got a, a really special guest here tonight, Nate Duncan, um, who is, leads really one of the most popular, I would say, NBA podcasts uh, across the landscape of the NBA, the Dunked On podcast with Danny LaRue. Um, so we're really happy to have him. Nate, thanks for coming on tonight. And, and how are you doing 25 games or so into the NBA season? <laughs> yeah, the, the extra like week and a half now is uh, is significant that, that's been added to it. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to come on to, with you guys. Spencer, of course, is a yearly guest on my show for the, the Hornets preview. So I'm glad to return the favor. No, absolutely, man. We're, we're really excited. Um, we're going to approach this pod more of a, you know, we're going to ask Nate some questions, just kind of a 10,000 foot view of, of where the Hornets are in this point in the season. If you listen to Busby, you're used to hearing kind of us recap the games and talk about, uh, you know, things that we're seeing on the court. This would be a little different. We're, we're really going to look at where the Hornets are, look what they're going, what can they become this season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so on that note, and Richie and Brian are here with us, uh, like always, but we're just going to jump right in if you guys are good with that. Um, Nate, let's start here because I think it's the obvious place to start with Charlotte is Kimball Walker, right? Like he's been unbelievable this season. We had Chris Kroger, the radio voice of the Hornets on before the season started. And he was like, look, guys, I think Kim was going to have the best season of his career. I think we all kind of laughed at that a little bit. But on a one to ten scale, like how surprised are you of how good he's been so far this year? Yeah, it's interesting, right? I mean, because when you look at that, especially early in the season, you say, okay, is it just fluky shooting, or is there something more fundamental here that we wouldn't have expect to have changed? So I would say at this point in time, especially because he's dropped off a little bit of late with the shooting. I mean, it seemed like very early on when you know, I mean, he was probably for the first month or so of the season, just in terms of value as a top five player in the league, you know, a lot of that was tied to the three point shooting, especially that three point shooting off the dribble. He had some really, really hot nights and that's something that can happen. You know I mean? If he has that month, you know, in March, uh, then it doesn't get as much attention as if it's the first month of the season, right? We have this natural tendency to think, all right, it's a new season. 
He's done some work on his game. This It's more easy to think of yourself as a first month of the season as a new normal than that this is a little bit fluky. So that was one where I was like, you know, I was surprised he's able to shoot that well for a whole month, but it wasn't like out of the realm of possibility for me. Um, so, you know, I'd say maybe like a, a six or a seven. And he seems actually, I mean, he's shooting now worse on threes than he had earlier in the season. If you look at the biggest box scores, his statistical difference with his performance, it's just that he's ramped up his usage so much more. I think he's gone from 27 to 31%. And so to be able to do that and maintain the efficiency is very good. And the Hornets have been a very good offensive team. And I think it's also really important that he's gotten so much respect from that first month of the season where he was shooting the ball so well on those very difficult three pointers off the dribble that I think that's changed the way that he's been defended. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked by it, but I, you know, I do think that overall he's moved into maybe a, a little bit of a different tier, but we'll see how that shooting holds up the rest of the season. Is there one skill stat, whatever that really sticks out to you that looks discernibly different just this season than maybe past seasons. I mean, one of the things I think he's starting to unlock is the, you know, how he can set up his teammates more and more when he gets into the lane, <clears throat> excuse me, which he's doing, I mean, constantly at this point. I, I think that part has stuck out to me. Anything really stuck out to you about Kemba this year? Yeah, to me, it's just been the difficulty of the three-pointers. I mean, so to be shooting the percentage that he was, especially early in the season, I mean, he's probably – one of the best guys in the league at coming off the screen, even when it's not set that high out on the floor and have a guy on his back and he's just going to pull it. Even if the guy's like right there on his back, he doesn't care. You know, I think he, he's traded off some long twos, which, you know, cause a lot of times you'll see, okay, your guy comes off the screen, the guy's on his back. He's going to take a, a couple dribbles in to try to get a little bit more space and elude him. Whereas Kevin would be like, guys on my back, I don't care. Like let him, let him try and block my shot and follow me. I, I would right. love for him to do that. And mm-hmm. he's kind of just, you know, drifting forward uh, across the line as he shoots it. It looks like a very difficult <laughs> shot, but, like, he was making those. So I think that was the biggest thing uh, that popped out to me of just the quality of the three-pointers then being able to make those uh, as well. Yeah, it's it, to me, like, when he, when he, you know, takes that shot where it looks like he's crowded, almost floating forward, maybe a little out of control, maybe that's too strong, but it's like he knows he's put the official – in a really tough spot because he knows that defender is chasing so close behind him that the worst case scenario is he's going to get undercut or there's going to be some kind of contact and he's going to the line. It's like trusting that thought, but it is amazing. Nick Batum used to think he was really good at that too, but that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's worn off over time. Yep. Um, <laughs> Nate, what on this team, the greatest strength on this, what is obviously a flawed roster in a lot of ways. Right. But like, what do you, when you watch the Hornets, and I don't know how much you've seen them, uh, of them this year, but what do you see that, oh, man, this is, a, this is a strength that will play against anybody in the league? Well, one of the things that I was very curious to see was how much of their turnover avoidance was due to mm-hmm. Steve Clifford. That was, in theory, part of his profile. Uh, defensive rebounding is something that you know Clifford really prized and, and you know, maybe deteriorated a little bit as they went smaller over the years. Uh, but you know now they're down to 19th in defensive rebounding, mm-hmm. um, and and they you know they used to really not foul. That's uh, keep teams out of transition. They're playing a little faster now. But yeah, avoiding turnovers is the one thing uh, that really has translated, and that's what's uh, made them other than getting to the foul line. You know, has made them be a solid offense because they're uh, that's the one thing that they're mm-hmm. really elite at, and it's kind of the thing that probably the least sexy thing 
that shows up, right? The, the absence of a mistake is something that as you're watching, you don't think like, oh man, that was a just amazing turnover avoidance on that play. You know, like it doesn't <laughs> right, get right. into the foul line, offensive rebounding, like that really pops out, right? But so many teams, like the Spurs are another one, right? You think like, oh man, they're shooting all these mid-rangers. Like how could they possibly be efficient? Well, they never turned it over. You know, they got LaMarcus and they got DeMar DeRozan. Those are two extremely low turnover players. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's impressive for the Hornets to have maintained that, you know, especially when you don't really think of anyone other than Kemba as a, a great offensive creator. And so usually when you have guys who aren't unbelievable creators, who might be a little stretched in those roles that you see their turnover rate go up. And the fact that they've avoided that has been very impressive. Hey, let me chime in here real quick, Spencer, because I think that's a great point moving from a system from Clifford uh, into a more up-tempo system with Borrego. I personally thought, you know, in the offseason, we talked about maybe some of the weaknesses that might come about. I thought turnovers could be a possible uh, weakness, but clearly they're still first in the uh, NBA in preventing that. So making that transition to a new offensive system and still maintaining some of those philosophies under Clifford uh, is definitely great to see. And I think kind of to add to this, the greatest strength of this team, which is completely different than years past, it feels really weird to say this, but the Hornets like depth in a way. Their bench play has been very, very good this season. Uh, They're top five in the NBA in scoring. And the feeling that we got in previous seasons when Kemba went to the bench, uh, do you guys get that same feeling when when Kemba goes to the bench this season? Because I don't, I don't, I don't feel the same sense of uh, worry. Like, okay, let's get Kemba back out as quick as possible. So I feel like that's a strength of the Hornets this season in terms of just some flexibility with, with the lineup. Yeah, and I'll say this too. Uh, you know, when it comes to the turnover thing, and it was really funny. You mentioned that, Nate, because the other night James Borrego is being interviewed, and, and I don't know who asked him the question, but he's like, do you know that you're first in the NBA right now in limiting turnovers? And he was like, uh, uh, maybe. He was like, I knew we were up there. I didn't know we were first. <laughs> and he was like, well, was that really um, – was, was that something you were nailing home before the season started? Uh, because we know it was important to Steve Clifford, and he was kind of like, we talked about it. I mean, he was like, obviously, no, it wasn't one of our top priorities coming into the year. And so two things. Number one – it, it, it kind of speaks to what kind of players are on this roster. But number two, like shout out Steve Clifford. Like you, you coached this team for you. You were in Charlotte mm-hmm. for five years. Um, you got this group to play a certain way. And it's obviously become a, a part of who they are, right, as players in the NBA now. And, and it's carried over. So I think that's cool that Borrego is like, this isn't one of my top priorities, but we're doing it as good as anybody in the NBA. And, and that's uh, that's rare. Like you don't see that very often. Yeah, um, Kemba, Kemba down to just nine, 9.2% turnover rate this year. Like that would end up, that's on pace to be the second lowest career turnover rate of his career, considering how high his usage is, you know, up over 30% and, you know, over 15 drives per game and he dominates the ball. Like, you know, he sort of sets the tone and the two things this team does well at like a top 10 rate, avoid turnovers and shoot threes from above the break. And I mean, he's he's sort of the the, the engine for both of those things. No well, doubt. And even even guys like you know Jeremy Lamb had this reputation of not being the headiest player, but you know he's got six percent turnover rates, right? I mean, uh, Parker mm-hmm. would turn it over at times in his San Antonio career. He's a ten percent. Malik Monk, who's you know another sort of thought is like oh trigger happy rookie mm-hmm. second year player not the smartest player 10 percent. you know that's that's very good as well so they've gotten pretty good performances basically out of everyone on the roster who handles the ball other than uh, batum from a turnover avoidance standpoint nate when you look at this team 
Um, and you probably have more to pick from with this question <laughs> than the last, but the most glaring weakness that, that, you know, when push comes to shove at the end of the year, really held Charlotte back. I mean, is bad luck a weakness uh, or, <laughs> or, or perhaps, per, perhaps crunch, crunch time yep. execution. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm always, I'm always loath to, because those stats are so inconsistent from year to year, uh, that it's hard to say, okay, this team has a skill in the clutch, uh, this team does it. I mean, you you look back at it, right? Like 2015, 16 Golden State might have been the best clutch team ever. Uh, and then the year after that, they actually underperformed their point differential. And, uh, you know, Houston last year was unbelievable in the clutch. This year, you know, not, not really that much. You know, certainly mm-hmm. no better than their overall uh, point differential. And so, you know, we've seen teams be really bad in the clutch and then come around. But, you know, that's been a Hornets bugaboo for quite some time in the last few years, you know, sort of similar to those Minnesota teams with Kevin Love early in the decade where, you know, it was a team that, hey, you know, it doesn't look like it'd be that great, but, hey, their point differential is actually pretty good. But, oh, their record actually isn't that good because they haven't been that good in close games. So, I mean, have you guys seen consistent issues with the, the late game execution? I haven't watched every one of their games, mm-hmm. but that makes you think, there's something more to it than just bad luck. I mean, I know at one point in time, Kemba was solid in the clutch. I mean, he was you know a little mm-hmm. bit below average efficiency, but you know that's what happens during that period of the game normally. But then everyone else on the team, you know, just couldn't hit a three uh, at that point in time. I mean, has that been the the sole issue? Or is there more to it than that? I mean, I, I think the biggest issue is not only the personnel, but I also think the lack of creativity when it comes down to the late game situations. I feel like a lot of times the Hornets just lean on Kimba to kind of save everything, and and you can't have that happen. The ball's got to move, even if Kimba's the primary target in the clutch situation. It can't just be dribble at the clock and, and try to make something happen. And I think you know Tony Parker stepped up a lot this year in terms of uh, clutch situations, huge. and um, there's not a lot of guys that can get that last second shot. But I feel like it's not just the personnel; it's also the lack of creativity when it comes to actually drawing up something late. And Clifford had that issue, and not to say that Borrego has this issue, but it just seems like we lean way too heavily on Kimba. Clearly, he's our best player, but we got to get some movement going on late. It's it's pretty crazy when you see like the clutch minutes usage rate. Kemba's at forty six percent, Tony Parker twenty six percent, Lamb right around fifteen percent, and everyone else you know close to eleven or twelve percent. Um, and actually, they've been a little bit better in clutch minutes the last like week or two, uh-huh. including including the win over Detroit. But it's like sixty four clutch minutes for the Hornets this season, one hundred and fourteen field goal attempts, fifty three of those have come from Kemba. Um, as a Hornet, as a team, the Hornets fourteen of fifty one. In clutch three-pointers, 28%. Kemba's 20, 10 of 25 on clutch three-point attempts, 40%. Everyone else, 4 of 26 on clutch three-point attempts, so 15%. I, I think that's better. It was like it was like 2 <laughs> out of 20, I think, the last time I looked at it <laughs> yeah. a couple of weeks yeah. ago. So they're, they're, they're 2 out of 6. Yeah. 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 And, and, I mean, and the other thing, too, is like it's crazy to just see Batum being invisible out there during clutch minutes. He's played 35 clutch minutes. Well, the well he's, he's a little more visible on on your television in terms of the amount of space that he takes up, but he's not he's not really visible in like you know his actual statistical contribution. That, that's, that's true. That's a good, but like under seven percent usage in clutch minutes. He's one of three shooting in thirty five clutch minutes without a free throw attempt in any clutch. No clutch free throw attempts this season. Like it's you know well, and, yeah and yeah. But yeah, they need, so, that's why they yeah. need Parker out there and in, in at the, the close games out for them. He's won some games. 
I mean, last night was one of, I mean, just off the top of my head, it's one of the few times Batum has closed the game for this team recently. I think it was more because of defensive reasons. But, yeah, and I just think, to add to everything you guys said, because you pretty much answered it, but it's psychological, right? Like, everyone on the Hornets and on the other team knows Kemba's taking the shot or the action's coming from Kemba. Uh And there's, you know, it's different if you're John Wall or I'm blanking on another good comparison, right? And everyone knows you're going to have the ball in your hands, but they know there's a Brad Beal or, or, or a sniper, Otto Porter, you know, right there next. They can also beat you. Every, the op- opposition always knows none of these other dudes on the floor, regardless of who's on the floor for Charlotte, want to take this shot in the clutch because they haven't done it in, in over three years now, right? Like it's been the same stuff regardless of the coach. So I think part of it is very psychological, and that's ironic we're talking about it because maybe the Hornets overcame some of that last night with Lamb's um, – shot from from the wing which wasn't a good look and not a good pass no. from Kimba but but Lamb splashed it so maybe they got over some of that last night I don't know well, and, and back to that play you know we, we see this all the time people you know players come off their own man to go double Kimba uh, regardless yeah. of the situation if it's a pick and roll or not they know that Kimba's the guy that's going to get it and you know it was the greatest pass to Lamb but the fact that he actually made that decision to pass it out to Lamb was was a very good decision on, on Kimba's part in both games versus Detroit this year it's like at the end of the fourth quarter, Detroit has just sent a second guy to trap Kemba without a screener. Yeah. It happened last night, and it happened back in November too. But by the way, that's actually that's that's really ironic because part of why Dwayne Casey got fired was because he didn't double team LeBron James <laughs> at the end of that game. So I guess, I guess he learned his lesson. He did, during- yes. <clears throat> So, Nate, transitioning from more of a big-picture view to, like, individual performances, uh, what player outside of Kimba uh, on this Hornets roster has most pleasantly surprised you this season? Yeah, I think there's a a few candidates. Uh, One would be just to get decent play out of Miles Bridges. uh, Mm -hmm. Ben Taylor was on my pod last night, and he was talking about that he was very impressed with his defense. And, you know, Bridges is – shooting well enough from three-point range and, you know, great finisher around the rim. He's been pretty passable defensively, uh, you know, good transition player, get some highlights. He, he The hope is he could be switchable in time. I mean, no one's really been talking about him, but just to get a wing player, anybody who can contribute at that point in the draft mm-hmm. at, at age 20 is great. And, you know, I think he's someone who could be a stalwart for this team for a long time. And then Tony Parker, uh mm-hmm. Is I, I thought he was done. I thought that was going to be a terrible contract. Uh, it, it looked a little better when I think it, I can't remember if it was a non guarantee or a team option to, for next year. But uh, when that came through, but nonetheless, it kind of seemed like, you know, is this guy even going to give them adequate backup point guard play? And he absolutely has. I mean, he's, uh, and he, the Hornets have a better net rating with him on the floor than they do with Kemba, which is pretty impressive. So uh, he's really has provided a little bit more impetus uh, on the bench as usage is up. I mean, it's not unbelievably efficient, but you know, for a bench guy on a team mm-hmm. that doesn't have a ton of scoring threats outside of Kemba, I think that, that his stat line has been totally fine. And he's really has given them just a way to run the offense in a way that had been lacking since uh, the Jeremy Lin year. Yeah. The, the bench has been a mess since 15, 16 with Jeremy Lin. And who would have thought that, that you know, <laughs> 30-whatever-year-old Tony Parker was, was going to bring it back home. It, it's crazy. Yeah, we're just going to say now, Cleaning the Glass has Parker and Kemba on the court together, almost 1.2 points per possession. Uh, Kemba shooting 50% on threes, uh, 63% effective shooting with, with almost 200 minutes with Parker on the floor with him. Um, 
under 33% shooting from deep, under 50% effective shooting without Tony Parker on the court this year. So probably getting to some more of those catch and shoot looks when when Tony's out there to give them, uh, you know, a, another secondary creator who's looking to set up te- his teammates and get them easy shots too. And the, the number that really pops for me with Tony Parker though. He's playing about 19 minutes a game. He's averaging, according to league tracking data, 10.5 drives per game. And he's shooting 56% on his drives this year. That's fifth in the NBA amongst players that average at least 10-plus drives per game. Um, that's an amazing number. He and Kemba are one of – they're two of eight guys averaging at least 10 drives per game this season in the NBA. It's crazy just how much you know the team Borrego is putting on those two guys to, to create offense and – I mean, I think at best going into the season, you were hoping for, you know, replacement level backup point guard status from Tony Parker. And he's given you a lot, a lot more than that. So for me, he's got to be the biggest pleasant surprise. But Lamb and and Miles Bridges, there are cases to be made for those guys, too. I think a case can also be made for MKG in just terms of, uh, you know, changing that role from the starter to the bench and and coming in and have a more defined role on the offensive side. It seems like last season he was just kind of put in the corner and he really didn't have much of a role. Uh, He's setting screens more often, uh, diving to the basket. But uh, it's crazy to think that coming off the bench actually made him a little bit more important to this Hornets team. Uh, Let's transition to the opposite end. And I feel like you... Might uh, go to a certain player for this one, but who who is the uh, biggest disappointment on this Hornets team? Yeah, well, it it does seem that Nick Batum just uh, whether it's uh, and obviously uh, there's the big contract, which uh, and the Hornets aren't to be blamed for giving that that contract. They are maybe to be blamed for not having it decline instead of rise because you know just due to to tax issues and money, that contract wouldn't look quite as bad if it, it were declining they had the option to do that with full bird rights on him but that's that's water under the bridge now uh but you know and plenty of other teams were given in that contract but for Batum I mean he really doesn't seem to have taken care of his body I mean just looking at him he's, he's lost like all muscle definition just not attacking not getting to the basket I mean just this guy was supposed to be the number two creator on this team and what does he have like 14 percent usage or something right now mm-hmm. I mean it's just yep. it, it, and he hasn't really been able to make up for that by being a lot more efficient. I mean, you used to see him take, you know, a lot of those three pointers going to his right off of screens. We don't see that as much anymore. We used to see him getting in the lane and, and, and set people up. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have that, those drive stats in front of me, but I'm guessing they're pretty uh, miserable uh, for him compared with where he was mm-hmm. uh, in that magical 15, 16 year. Yeah. I, th- I think he just disappears from games we talked about it and we realized that, you know, he, he's a connector, he's a distributor on this team, uh, but he's had his lowest assist total since 2011, 2012. So he's clearly not, you know, getting involved in the assist game either. And he has games where he shoots like three or four field goal attempts per game. And it's just like, were you even out on the court? But then he also yeah. has games against uh, the Timberwolves not too long ago where like he was like ultra involved. And that's the type of a tomb that we expected uh, when he signed that contract. And it just seems like those are few and far between this year. I mean, for whatever reason, the Hornets telecast cuts to him sitting on the bench quite a bit. And it's, <laughs> and it's pretty obvious that he's not in a great place mentally and, he, and he's not happy and he's is you know it's there's been all these excuses last year was because Dwight Howard was on the team so that's why he didn't really know his role and you know the year before it, it was just kind of a mess and he was injured for a lot of that year and and now I mean you, you look at this roster and you're like oh, this looks tailor-made for Nick Batum to have like a solid second or third role mm-hmm. especially with a guy like you know James Borrego who's who's an outside of the box thinking at least modern day 
uh, head coach in the NBA. And and Batum just he's just a passive player. He has been since his rookie year. You know, he was a stand in the corner, shoot threes, and everybody was like, well, this guy needs a bigger role. He just needs to be, be more of a contributor in the NBA and more chances with the, the ball in his hands. I just don't think that he wants that role. He might say he wants it, but there's nothing from his body language um, and the way he plays offensively. Since I've seen him in Charlotte, that suggests this is a guy who wants a heavy offensive role. And I'm happy to be wrong, but, I mean, we're on season four now, and uh, it's it's hard to see it. Yeah, and uh, a happy early 30th birthday, too, to Nick Batum as he turns uh, 30 on December 14th. So uh, it's hard to see this getting – it's hard to see this ship, you know, turning around and going in the right direction. Um, you know, at best, he's sort of a spot-up shooter. That's really where he's been best served for Charlotte this year. But, you know, that that's just not providing them enough, and I think that's one of the reasons why, at least at the start of the year, they were so – dreadfully underperforming their their point differential in terms of wins and losses um and yeah here's just- some some crazy uh, bad batum stats uh, by the way uh 13.7 percent usage would be the lowest since uh, his rookie mm. year and he was 22 percent and 21 percent those two years uh the, the first two years of his hornets career and here's the one that's most ridiculous to me 1.0 free throw attempts per game yeah Yep. That's just insanely low. That's and like you're on your way high, out of the league kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's never been a high free throw attempt guy. I mean, even in that that the good year that got him that contract, it was only 2.7. But, I mean, one free throw attempt a game, I mean, that's, that's just you're getting fouled once every two games? <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, that, that screams <laughs> passiveness right there, and that's that's kind of the key term we always apply to Nick Batum. And I feel like we discussed this guy enough on, on BuzzBeat, so let's let's try to go to something more positive here. Oh, oh, I, I did have a, a quick question for you, though. Go ahead. Uh, um, I've, I've been – I asked this on my show the other day. I never got a great answer from, from any Hornets true followers, but uh, why is Hernan Gomez not play more? I mean, I know the numbers with him on the floor aren't great. His individual box score statistics are good. I mean, does he just suck on defense? Is that what it is? He does. I, I, th- I think that's most of what it is. Mm-hmm. But And if you look at Frank's defensive numbers, Frank Kaminsky def- defensive yeah. numbers. Shockingly I, 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 good. Sh- Shockingly. Exactly. We talked about this uh, on our last episode we recorded just two days ago. I could not believe how good they are. Not only are they good just when Frank's on the floor, but when – Frank's on the floor with Malik Monk and Tony Parker. They're still way above league average, which is I still have not wrapped my mind around that, and I'm that, not. That can't continue, right? I mean, right, look, like, I, exactly. He's competing, more, though. He is competing. Just, just yeah. watch him down there. He's not the best athlete, but he is competing. I mean, yeah, but no, I don't think it'll it'll continue at that rate. A, but, a big, a big part of that is MKG, though, too. Like, 54 yeah. minutes with MKG out there, the Hornets 84 points per 100 possessions. 150 minutes with with Frank out there, no MKG, a little under 107 points for 100 possessions. So, uh, I mean, look, that you can't just attribute that all to one guy, but that's a pretty significant difference, um, hinging on you know what is clearly the Hornets' best you know perimeter defender too. Right, and MKG and Frank have not played many minutes together in the past because mm-hmm. MKG has been in the starting lineup. So. You know, that, that is certainly a factor here. But I, I just still, I, I'm with you, Surprised. Nate. We were talking about it two days ago. I was like, I, I just can't believe this. I mean, I know yeah. he's a great <laughs> defender, but something does not add up here, and it probably doesn't continue. But we'll see. But, I, yeah, Willie, like, Hernan Gomez, his offensive game is is so sharp. It's, it's mm-hmm. um, 
well beyond his years. I feel like his footwork is fantastic. He's shooting threes. He's making them this season. Uh, he's got a great feel around the game. He's patient around the rim. He's patient when he mm-hmm. gets down there. He's good in pick and roll. Like he does all these things offensively. And his, you know, you look at his contract and in his cap hit, and you're like, mm-hmm. God. I mean, and, and the Hornets have his rights. Like this guy should be playing, right? And Frank Kaminsky's, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent, probably on his way out the door anyway. So why mm-hmm. is Willie not playing more? But let me I'll be the first to tell you, and I know that both of these guys will back me up. James Borrego has tried every freaking lineup in the book this season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he's yeah. trying everything. And every time he tries something new, I think we're all scratching our heads a little bit. So I mean, he even played biz over uh Aaron and Gomez last week in the yep. Minnesota game, which I was not stoked about to see. But that seems to have, I mean, again, one game sample, but in the second half against Detroit, it seemed like he did sort of like retake the second center position behind Cody. And the thing to remember, too, is they're playing Marvin at the five so much this year. 150 right. minutes of Marvin Williams at the five, which has been I mean, it's been a huge piece for the Hornets, especially on the defensive end. Um, so, yeah, I don't think these I don't think this run with Frank, although he, he shot 35 percent above the break threes the last seven games. That's fine. But like. Yeah, it just seems like when when Aaron and Gomez, if he's assuming he is fully healthy, because I know he missed a few games with an injury, but um, you know, I think that's going to be you know at best Frank should be the the fourth center on this roster, and which means he probably shouldn't see too many minutes unless there's significant time lost to injury. And we always talk about how fragile he is, you know, mentally. And the fact that he went from like a 15th man on the bench, and then when Ernan <laughs> Gomez was injured for a couple of games, and he came in, and uh, he, like I said, he hasn't really looked back. But big picture stuff, looking down the road, I know that Spencer, you go on preseason with uh, the Dunked On podcast and talk about the ceiling and the floor of this team. Now that we're about. 30 games in, Nate, uh, where do you see this team finishing this year? Maybe the highest that they can finish in the playoff standings? And then maybe on the opposite end, how far do you think they could fall if everything um, you know, just didn't go as planned? Yeah, I mean, I think the sixth seed would certainly be realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you've got the top four in the East, although uh, ironically enough, the Hornets actually have a better net rating right now than Philly. Uh, <laughs> but but you got the top four, and then now with Indiana getting Oladipo back, and you know this is without significant injuries concerns popping up for mm-hmm. these teams. But I think you know just based on on the fundamentals, uh, to me, Charlotte looks like uh, the uh, sixth best team uh, in the Eastern Conference. That's where five thirty eight projects them. It's kind of interesting actually with them fourteen and thirteen right now, plus three point eight net rating. That five thirty eight only projects them to to finish at five hundred. Uh, with a 1.0 net rating, is, has their schedule just been really easy early on? Is that that's probably the reason for that? I'm guessing a lot of road games coming up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very, very easy. Yeah, January. 2019 does not bring a lot of uh, friendliness. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I mean, I think you also have to be really happy as a Hornets fan that the Pistons have lost six straight. You know, it seemed like they were kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors for a time, and, and obviously beating the Pistons and being a part of that it helps. The Pistons are so injured right now as well you think uh, and i don't think the pistons have had like a west coast swing yet or anything either so that they uh you know you think the hornets and pistons will probably be neck and neck and then i mean basically everyone else in the east too has disappointed at this point the the wizards the heat uh so while i think the hornets have played you know probably to the upper end of where we thought they would could be you know i Mm -hmm. think uh, spencer i forget what we said i think we said maybe like 45 games was this 
this team's mm-hmm. ceiling. And, and, you know, I think we that did. I would probably stick with that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and they've also been really healthy so far too, which, which helps, um, you know, Zeller is always a, a guy who could go out <laughs> and, and we talked about mm-hmm. how they don't have much at, at center. So, yeah, but I think the, the greater thing that you can look at is just that, you know, the rest of these teams really are all uh, underperforming at, at this point. So the Hornets have got to feel pretty good at, about that. And, you know, I, I don't see them, you know, maybe I could see them taking a team like the Bucs or the Sixers to six. You know, that's probably where I see the ceiling at at, at this point. Yeah, I, I kind of favor the Sixers matchup for whatever reason. I think that we've, you know, played them well over the Bucks, maybe, over the well, Bucs. Well, he's an awesome, actually, you know what? Kemba is, is a really good matchup against either the Bucs or the Sixers because both those teams have these big centers yeah. that they want to leave back. Yep. And the Hornets, you mentioned they shoot a lot of above the break threes. That's what the Bucs give up. Uh, right. You know, we've seen Kemba have big games uh, against them. Um, you, you know, and, and Mike Budenholzer is not. Well, he's a good coach. He's not like the most reactive coach uh, in the world to you know to change up the strategy or to do more switching or or go with Giannis at center or that stuff. I mean, I think that stuff that could really give the Hornets problems. But you know, I'm not sure if he's going to go there. So you know, these teams that if Kemba can continue to shoot it pretty well and gets hot for a series, you know, I think they could could give some of these teams. Some difficulty these teams that want to just lay the center back and pick and roll and, and protect the basket. Philadelphia without Covington is like a big help too. I mean, he's given Kemba fits in some in some of their matchups this season and last season. Basketball Reference is like a little more their their out goes like a little more friendly to the Hornets. Still has them finishing sixth in the East, but with a, a you know almost a ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs and. Oh. Basketball Reference has them as a forty five win team uh, with a first round matchup against Boston. You know, I don't like the it's you know I don't like the Hornets odds in any of these first round matchups, especially if they're you know if they don't. I, it seems so unlikely they get to the four. You know, I think they're sort of locked in at six through eight, um, which means they're going to be heavy underdogs and you know clearly not the hosting a first round series. So you know, I, I mean this the ceiling for them playoff team that you know maybe can they win a, a game or two uh, maybe. Um, you know, I feel at some point Boston will sort of get their get their stuff in gear and and start to play even better. And the thought of Boston, like a fired up, healthy Boston team against Charlotte in the first round, is um not not ideal. But yeah, you know, again, a big part of this too is assuming that they stay healthy. Uh, like Nate said, they they've they really haven't dealt with that many injuries. And I kind of think like one of the biggest biggest weaknesses for this Hornets team is just like the margin of error like they just don't really there really is none if if they lose any of those top six or seven guys especially Kemba or 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 Cody for significant time they're toast I mean the starters have played 334 minutes this season uh net rating of plus six that's the most minutes of any lineup in the NBA this year Mm -hmm. you think if you pull out one of those guys it just gets really dicey really quickly Yep, and and that's what we talked about on your pod, you know, earlier in the year before the season, Nate, is that their floor uh, is just so so low because if Kemba gets hurt, if something happens, I mean, even now, fourteen and thirteen, I mean, knock on wood, if he were to go down in the next game, I mean, they could they could be easily have a top team. five pick right yeah. before the end of the year, <laughs> like because they're nothing without Kemba, so the floor is still very very low. Uh, another question, if, if the Hornets kind of keep competing and, and are in that sixth, seventh range, do you see the Hornets making a trade uh, to improve the roster? And if so, um, do you see any positions of need? I think the Hornets roster, you know, salary-wise, it, it's going to be hard to make some trades uh, just in terms of 
trades that are worthwhile and getting pieces back. Uh, but Nate, do you see any um, areas in which they can improve or do you see them just kind of a standing pat? Yeah. I mean, I think they could use that, like, you know, a real good defensive center, you know, maybe like, a, a, I wouldn't see them doing more than, you know, something along like, you know, second rounder mm-hmm. type of thing. I mean, they, they don't have a ton of breathing space right now. Actually, let me, let me get their, uh, sheet open right now to see where they are in relation to the tax but three and uh, a half under yeah yeah so i mean you know maybe and they don't have a lot of kind of spare filler salary on expiring contracts that they're not really using i mean maybe like kaminsky would be someone like that you know like kaminsky for Dwayne deadwin and a second round pick or something you know that that might Mm -hmm. be just get one guy with a little bit more athleticism maybe someone who can roll to the basket, provide a little vertical spacing. That's that's probably the biggest addressable need mm-hmm. that, that I see for them at this point. I mean, they don't – you mentioned that with the surprising depth that they've shown mm-hmm. this season, you know, there aren't really any necessarily glaring holes. I mean, maybe another combo forward type. But, you know, they got MKG there as a, a backup. You know, he's been pretty good. Marvin Williams, if he goes down, they would really miss him yep. uh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know that that's another one. Just that they don't really have another stretch four option who can also like a, be as good of a defensive player as Marvin is. So, but you know that, that he's a pretty good player. Not going to just find that. And I don't think they would wade into the giving up a future first rounder uh, approach, especially with the uncertainty with Kemba. And I don't think you know Kemba is quite on the level of a. Uh, an Anthony Davis or something where it's like, oh man, like we gotta put, we gotta do all well this year to impress mm-hmm. him enough so so he stays. I mean. Uh, I think if they offer him the full boat, you know, that's if that's not enough to get him to stay, like that, nothing's going to when you consider, you know, he's not quite at the stature of someone like AD or, you know, Giannis will be in that position in a couple of years. Kawhi Leonard. Yep. Um, well, that kind of actually uh, segues us to the next question. So when we talk about Kim staying in Charlotte, which he's saying all the right things. Um, love Charlotte, you know, wants to be here. Hope Charlotte just makes the offer when, you know, the clock strikes midnight and we can all go home happy. Um, but there's this overlooming possibility of him being an all NBA player. Um, and Brian, you told me the number cause I forget it now. Remind me what's that all NBA number. Nate? Oh, probably knows yeah. Yeah. If he hits it, it would be five years, $221 million for Kemba Walker. If that is, if he hits all NBA this season. So, Nate, in in that scenario, let's just say Kimba just keeps it up, almost just accelerates, you know, his foot on the gas from here on out, and he makes first team All NBA. What does Charlotte do in that scenario? Because, <laughs> I mean, like, like what what does that conversation look like? Because at this point, I think we know he wants to stay in Charlotte. Charlotte obviously wants to keep him, but that's so much more money than he could make. It just his five year max that Charlotte could offer him without All NBA. Like that just really muddies the water when it comes to that free agency conversation. Yeah, it, it does to some degree, but it's also when you consider his age, he's going to be 29 this off season. I, I believe the, to get the fifth year and the number on that fifth year, even if he doesn't get the, the designated player would still be $43 million. You know, that's already so much more. And, and yeah. You know, if you look at that, that's his age, 33, 34 season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, that's already so much more. I mean, obviously, giving that contract would be a disaster 
uh, you know, and I think if he now it, you mentioned it could muddy the waters, maybe it's like, hey, I'm eligible for this. You're not going to give it to me. Uh, you know, I'm just upset. I'm going to leave. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the case. But I think there's plenty of negotiating room between that full boat, $221 million, which would have a $50.4 million salary in the 2023-24 season. Good um, Lord. And I think they've also maybe to some degree learned their lesson on these five-year deals from Batum as well. You know, I think they'll be a little bit more gun-shy, you would hope. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it's still – but it's still – the regular five-year deal is just so much more Mm -hmm. uh, than what anyone else can offer that, yeah, if he does make all BA, it's going to make things a little more difficult. Maybe they would give him a little bit of a bump over – uh, you know, because uh-huh. it doesn't have to be the full 221 million, yeah, right? Necessarily, um, you know, it can be at least 30 percent, but no more than 35 percent of the salary cap. And, and you mm-hmm. might even be able to have some non guarantees on the end of there, or, or mm-hmm. something that could kind of uh, make it a little bit more team friendly and palatable. You know, based on games played or something. You know, sort of similar to like Mike Conley's contract right now. But it, it's it's obviously very difficult, especially you know. The sixth seed, you could say maybe, all right, you know, Kemba's performance starts to drop off a little bit, but, you know, Monk and Bridges continue to improve. And, uh, but, you know, other than that, you know, that's probably not going to counteract, you know, maybe you get a little more uh, out of land, but he's going to be a free agent also. Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you really like? What is the way to improve beyond the sixth right. seed? I think you have to conclude that in the years going forward, unless they have another huge hit in the draft that, you know, the sixth seed is about as good as you're going to do. And that's maybe that'll last a couple of years. And then Kemba falls off enough that you're kind of down it in the lottery again. I mean, maybe you could say, well, you know, it makes sense to resign him because we could trade him again if we kind of fall out of contention, but you're falling out of contention because he's not that good anymore and he's overpaid. So that probably isn't going to work either. I mean, we've talked, we've been talking about this for a year and a half now of just, you know, what a conundrum this is. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if, if they, I think if Charlotte was going to do anything, it was this time last year. I mean, sure. I think, I think I speak yeah. for all three of us that we, we were, we were ready for a trade. I mean, we, yeah. we supported it. I, I, I don't backtrack on that at all. I think that's what Charlotte should have done. But, you know, now, I mean, look, you can't understand it until, until you're here and until you're a, a fan of, of Hornets basketball or just Charlotte sports in general, frankly. But I mean, he is, he's a freaking folk hero in this town. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, if they do not resign him, like, you know, Bill Simmons says, like it, if new Orleans doesn't resign Anthony Davis, what's the point of basketball in new Orleans anymore? And I think he's mm-hmm. right. And I think the same thing's true in Charlotte. Like if they don't sign, and, and I know that's not the right way to do business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not how you build a team to win over time, but if, if, if Kim Walker is not back here next year under contract, What's the point of basketball in Charlotte? Because there is literally nothing to look at and, and smile. So it, it's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, at least for, for a couple of years, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. the, the thing about the that sort of thinking is, and I know you guys know this, but it's is rebuilding, you know, when you're a team in the situation as the Hornets, ultimately you don't have a choice of right. whether you're mm-hmm. going to rebuild or not. Like, you're just, you're going to have to, right? I mean, this is, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, maybe they'll be kind of in between 35 and 45 wins for another couple of years. Uh, and maybe you could say, all right, you know, that like that in a market like, like Charlotte, that has enough value to where, you know, it's, uh, that's worth it, right? You know, and, but you're still going to have to pay the piper 
on the back end of that. And so your kind of question is like, all right, would we rather have another couple of years of 35, 45 wins, and now we really are going to go into a, a deep depression, or are we going to kind of embrace the rebuild, steer, steer into it with the hope that it'll be shorter and we'll get better players and you can get out of it more quickly as opposed to, all right, we'll maintain this mediocrity for a couple more years, and now we're really going to have a long rebuild as opposed to getting out of it more quickly. You know, that, That's kind of the way I think about it sometimes. Well, at least they have a super patient owner, a patient owner, Michael Jordan. That'll that'll be down to sit through a lengthy and uh, trying rebuild uh, in the in the but, Queen City. Yeah, Thanks that's... for not asking me about like him, like <laughs> head tapping Malik. Oh, yesterday. God. Yeah. <laughs> Why was that such a big deal? A, a Why was deal? that such a big deal? I mean, yeah. if it wasn't Jordan, it would be a bigger deal, right? Yeah. Like if no. it wasn't, oh, if, if it, it was just like you know, if it was Mark Cuban. Yeah. Then yeah, I mean that it would be totally out of line. But like Michael Jordan, he's there. He's like yeah, right. he's the owner. He's been around with the guy. Like, like yeah. he's he's got yeah. enough to kind of just do that. Like it's, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. He did that to Lamb a couple seasons ago. I feel like yeah, yes, he did. He did. And like, look, if the owner can come play one on one with the team in practice, then like I guess we're just, like, and he can still do that. Then we'll just give him a pass for uh for for this too. Yeah, I thought that was some. I don't know. You got to drive the like twenty four hour content cycle and. Uh, Right. With it being MJ, ESPN could latch on to it pretty quickly. It was it was too easy. It really was. Well, look, Nate, we really appreciate you coming on. That was awesome. I think uh, somehow, some way, we kept this thing close to 40 minutes, I guess, Richie, and that's a minor miracle for <laughs> us, so, especially when we, we get a fourth body in here. But uh, thanks again, man. Um, great stuff, what you're doing with the Dunked On podcast with Danny. and I mean, it's just all awesome. I listen all the time. Uh, I know, I know Richie and, and Brian do too. Nate, where can we find you? What do you have coming up? I mean, what do you have to plug here? Yeah, well, uh, Nate Duncan NBA is the Twitter handle, and uh, we're doing uh, the NBA cast, which is basically uh, a live play-by-play. If you mute your TV mm-hmm. and uh, sync sync up with us, is kind of the idea. There's a little bit of a barrier to entry. You know, we're hopeful that eventually, someday, the NBA will open up the casting to, uh, and we can actually show the game. At the mm-hmm. same time, but if you're in a position with the DVR where you can kind of pause it, sync up with us, we do it once a week during the regular year, and then uh, we do it pretty much every night during the playoffs that there isn't a Warriors home game. All right, Nate. Well, look, thanks again, man, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again here soon, I'm sure. All right, I'll, I'll be your fourth body anytime, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Nate. All right, guys, that was episode 83, a little bonus episode on a Friday morning for you guys. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Nate Duncan does a great job with the Dunk Dome podcast along with Danny LaRue. Again, we just got to take a little 10,000 foot view of where the Hornet season is right now, where a lot of people think like Nate, um, you know, a national guy covering this league where he thinks it's going. So hope you enjoy it. Have a great, uh, Christmas because I'm not sure Richie and Brian, if we will see you before then or not, I don't know if we've made that decision, but, uh, if we don't see you before then have a Merry Christmas and go Hornets.